Oh, Father, we praise you. You're a great God. We love you very much. We seek you. We know that you have a plan for this world and for your church to make a significant difference and to bring revival. And so we pray that you would teach us this morning from your word about our dependence on the Holy Spirit to bring revival. And so lead us now from your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turn to Zechariah chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 1. We're actually not going to look at verses 1 through 14. We're going to look at 1 through 10. Okay, and we're uh, page 540 in the Bibles we give away. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. We're going through Zechariah verse by verse. And we're in this section on uh, the fifth vision. And be, but be, uh, before we read this passage and get into it, I want to explain how revival, okay? What, I want to share my heart about revival. I've studied revival a lot, okay, uh, throughout the centuries. From the book of Acts, revival, that was a major revival. We're going to see how this was actually a revival at the time of Zechariah in the Old Testament and some things we can learn from the book of Zechariah as it's written because it's one of the few times, pretty cool, where the Jewish people actually listen to the prophets, <laughs> okay? And uh, both Haggai and Zechariah, we got to experience that time, and so really that revival. But what can we learn from this book that speaks of these things? Now, so I want to start out by talking about um, a couple revivals that took place in history, the first and second great awakenings, okay? Now, the reason why I pick these two is that uh, the revivalists disagree on certain things, specifically on what brings revival, but they agree on what revival is, okay? So that's what's, in fact, all the way through, if you look at the book of Acts, if you look at first and second great awakenings, and, and really the last revival that we've experienced is the Jesus movement, okay? But in all of them, they had the same understanding of what they were seeking for, specifically and especially for the Holy Spirit to come upon God's people in such a way that they reach out to the lost and bring them to Christ, and that multitudes come to Christ. So evangelism was central to all of these revivalists as they understood it. Uh, now, the other stuff that happened, the fun, the enjoyment, the joy, and, and, and the, even the change and, and so forth, uh, that was a good byproduct of it. But they all sought to reach the lost for Christ. But as I said, they dif, dif, differed. Now, I, I have uh, Jonathan Edwards' book on revival uh, and First Great Awakening, and then I have Charles Finney's book on revival, Second Great Awakening. And as I said, they disagree. Edwards believed that only the Holy Spirit could bring revival and that God does things when he's ready to do things, okay? Whereas Finney believes that God wants to always bring revival, and so if you do certain things, revival will come, okay? 
I think what we're going to see from Scripture is that there's a truth kind of in the middle. <laughs> They're both kind of right, okay? So we'll, we'll, we'll look at this. But let me read something from Jonathan Edwards, all right? He describes a change that took place in his church and that could take place in church when they experience revival. He says this. He says, This work of God, as it was carried on, and the number of true saints multiplied, soon made a glorious alteration in the town. So notice he's the focus. Lost people getting saved and then making a difference in the whole town. So that in the spring and summer following 1735, the town seemed to be full of the presence of God. It never was so full of love nor of joy, and yet so full of distress as it was then. There were remarkable tokens of God's presence in almost every house. It was a time of joy in families on account of salvation being brought unto them. Parents rejoicing over their children as newborn, and husbands over their wives, and wives over their husbands. The goings of God were then seen in his sanctuary. God's day was a delight, and his tabernacles were amiable. Our public assemblies were then beautiful. The congregation was alive in God's service, kind of like our church. Everyone earnestly intent on the public worship, every hearer eager to drink in the words of the minister as they came from his mouth. The assembly in general were from time to time in tears while the word was preached, some weeping with sorrow and distress, others with joy and love, others with pity and concern for the souls of their neighbors. And our public praises were then greatly enlivened. Uh, So interestingly, he speaks of that uh, uh, revival coming and just making a difference and a change. Now, uh, with Finney, though, uh, as I said, he, he really believed that uh, there were certain things you could do to bring about revival. Uh, but he starts out, he speaks of when we need a revival, okay? This is what he says. He says, revival is needed when there is a worldly spirit in the church. Now, if that doesn't describe the church today overall, I don't know what does. When there's a worldly spirit in the church, there so often the church just is buying into what the world is saying. Right now, there is a huge battle going on in the spiritual realm. Unlike, I believe, ever before. And we can even see it in our world. And I want to say this. The world is wrong. God has a plan. Listen to what could happen. Okay, he describes the one incident in his, in his life, uh, Finney does. Now, he's, it's kind of funny because he speaks in the third person even though he wrote this. But this is what he says. Revival is renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep humility. Mr. Finney once visited a factory to see the machinery. Because he had just come from a revival, he was in a reverent mood. All of the workers knew who he was. One lady who saw him as she was working made a rude comment to her neighbor, then laughed. Mr. Finney stopped and looked at her with sorrow in his eyes. She stopped working. 
breaking her thread. She then became so upset that she could not repair the thread and start again. Trying to calm herself, she looked out the window, but again and again her emotions got the best of her. Finally, she sat down and cried. Mr. Finney then approached her and spoke with her. She soon showed a deep sense of sin. The feeling spread through the establishment like fire. And in a few hours, almost every person employed there was under conviction. The feeling was so pervasive that the owner, though a worldly man, was astounded and stopped all work to hold a prayer meeting. (laughs) In the owner's opinion, it was a great deal more important to have these people converted than to continue production. In a few days, the owner and nearly all the employees, about 3,000, were fully converted. The Lord's rebuke of this woman's comment through Mr. Finney's reverent yet compassionate reaction brought her under conviction. Seeing this undoubtedly inspired the massive revival. Isn't that awesome? Uh, So, and in all of this, both of them would agree that when God's people pray, things happen. And both would agree that it's only the Holy Spirit can bring revival, okay? Whereas, are there things that we can do that we can learn? And that's what we want to look now at our passage in Zechariah chapter 4, okay? Now, uh, just to... Well, let me, let me read this first part here, verses 1 through 7. The angel who was speaking with me then returned and roused me as one awakened out of sleep. He asked me, what do you see? I replied, I see a solid gold lampstand with a bowl at the top. The lampstand also has seven lamps at the top with seven spouts for each of the lamps. There are also two olive trees beside it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. Then I asked the angel who was speaking with me, what are these, my Lord? Don't you know what they are, replied the angel who was speaking with me. I said, no, my Lord. So he answered me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. What are you, great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain, and he will bring out the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. Now, what's going on here, okay? This is, remember, the people of Israel have left finally their exile from Babylon and come back home, but they're still under Persian rule, and so they feel like they're still exiled, okay? But they also don't have their temple built, and their temple was necessary for them to receive forgiveness of sins under the Old Covenant, So they're really in a bind and in need of this. And so they need the temple to be rebuilt. And God has called Zerubbabel to build it, okay? Now, in this vision, this first vision, it sounded kind of strange, right? So you have this uh, lampstand, and then you have uh, these two olive trees next to it. Now, we're going to talk about the olive trees next week, okay? That's where the end times revival stuff comes, okay? But we also have this bowl on top, which is not the normal way. So the lampstand clearly is referring to the temple because the, the lampstand was in the, there was a lampstand in the tabernacle. Under, in Solomon's temple, there were 10 uh, lampstands, but so clearly referring to the temple. But in normal times, the priests go into the temple 
each week or each day and fill the lampstands with oil in order for them to be to burn. Okay. Well, this has a bowl on top so that rather than the priest working and filling it, God was filling it by uh, by His power, and so that brings us to the focal verse in this whole vision, verse 6, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. So he's showing here, this is going to come about. We're going to bring revival where the people can receive forgiveness of sins because the temple will be rebuilt and the people are going to begin following the Lord and rejoice. This is going to happen, but it's going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how it's going to work. So the first thing we see here is that only the Holy Spirit can bring revival. Edward's emphasis is correct. It comes right from the text here. Not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of the armies. Now, by the way, that means we must reject all false securities. All of us have certain things we rely on. And it doesn't mean you can't have a retirement fund or whatever, right? But is your reliance on those things. Whatever it is, if it's not a reliance on the Holy Spirit, we're missing, we're missing something. That's why he says, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit. Notice it's two different negatives. It's not this or that. Now, I know some translations kind of flip those around. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is actually a better translation. Because the first Hebrew word reveals it's more of a military word. So it's speaking of military strength kind of a thing. Uh, then the second word is a more generic kind of a word. Uh, so any kind of might or any kind of thing that you do. So, But he's showing here with this double negative kind of a deal here that we must reject all false securities. It's not that. Now, tragically, once again, with the world, the world, uh, it's all about look within. You know, uh, even the church so often, it's it's fallen into this self-help understanding. If you just look within, the strength within you, you can do it, right, okay, there was a guy who went into Barnes and Noble the other day, and he asked the guy, uh, he says, uh, where's the self-help section? And the guy says, well, if I told you, wouldn't that defeat the purpose? Okay. All right. Just, I got sidetracked. All right. But, but so, and then we have the, the human potential movement. We have the new age movement, which is saying, if you go by these crystals and this other earthy stuff and all this stuff, you know, you can do this. It's all on your works. Even, even salvation messages, uh, uh, presentations of the gospel that include works as a means of your salvation. It's all focused on you. That's what we're seeing here is not true. It is by the Holy Spirit. We must reject all false securities. Look at Isaiah 31, verse 1. Here we see in Isaiah's day, 
He is speaking of how they were depending on their ability to unite with different nations, etc., and their, their armies in order to secure their peace and happiness. Look what he says here. He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and who depend on horses. They trust in the abundance of chariots and in the large number of horsemen. They do not look to the Holy One of Israel and they do not seek the Lord. It's not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of the army. So we must reject all false securities, but we also must completely surrender to the Holy Spirit. He is the one who we depend upon, and he is dependable. So we surrender, though, to him. We yield to his leadership in our life, where we hear his voice, where we obey his commands, we follow him, and he comes through. We must completely surrender to the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a difference of opinion within Christian circles about what's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, okay? Some Christians believe the baptism in the Spirit begins right at salvation. Others believe it's something subsequent to salvation where you're empowered to be able to accomplish the great things of God, okay? And Christians can agree to disagree agreeably over that, I think, okay? Um, Personally, I believe that the baptism in the Spirit begins at salvation, okay? In fact, uh, Romans 8 9 says if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a believer, Okay, so I believe that. But I also very, very much align myself with those who speak of it as something subsequent because in the Bible, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be changed. You're going to be empowered. Your life is going to be radically different. And that's, that's supposed to be normal Christianity. Okay, so whether you want to call it baptism or filling or whatever, that's fine. But the idea, so for me, the baptism, it begins at salvation, but it continues, and we continue to to experience that baptism as the Holy Spirit uh, is, as we yield to him. And that's why it's just like being submerged in the Holy Spirit. You know, baptism, water baptism is a submersion in the water, Spirit baptism is a submersion in the Holy Spirit where he's completely in control of your life. So we yield to the Holy Spirit. I want you to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because here we see he's actually speaking of this. This is the beginning of the first uh, greatest revival, the revival of the first century, first three centuries of the of the church's existence, the incredible revival that took place uh, begins here. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the table of contents for the entire book of Acts. So in other words, it says, here's what the focus is on the early church, what their focus should be on, and here is what true revival is. In fact, in verse 5, he speaks of this baptism in the Holy Spirit that's going to come. It comes in chapter 2. But here he says the reason why. Here's the, the main reason why we need the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The main reason for the 
empowering of the Holy Spirit is to be effective witnesses of the gospel where we share our faith with people in a spirit-empowered presentation and people come to Christ. This is what brings revival. Now, the Holy Spirit also helps us to be holy, right? And that's necessary. He also fills us with joy. He helps us along. But as a church, this is what he's calling us to do. We're in this world still in order to reach the lost. When you think of these things from eternal perspective, people are either going to heaven or they're going to hell. In light of that, yes, our joy is meaningful. Yes, these other things are important, but we've got to win people for Jesus. It's that important. That's what we see as the central focus of the book of Acts. Now, together, we all have a different part to play in it, right? Not everybody is an evangelist, right? Okay, Uh, but all of us still share our faith. Not everybody is, has the, uh, the calling and gifting of prayer, right? But we all pray, correct? So, but we want to find what's our part to play. Is it helping out with the youth? Is it, you know, uh, ministering in, you know, with the Lord's Supper? Is it service? Is it whatever it is? So we're, we all have these different parts to play. But in order for us to reach the lost. Bring them to Christ. Disciple them. You don't just convert them. You disciple them so they're growing in Christ, getting on fire in order to reach more. And the more we reach, then all of a sudden, revival takes place. This is what Edward saw. This is what Finney saw. This is what the, the Jesus movement saw. That this is, that it was, we've got to reach the lost for Jesus Christ because he's coming back someday soon. So we see this central focus right in the book, right? Acts 1.8 It's what it says. Uh, So first of all, we must completely surrender to the Holy Spirit here. Only the Holy Spirit can bring revival. Now, back to our passage, though. It's all by grace from start to finish. He says, he continues on in verse 7, What are you, great mountain, before Zerubbabel you will become a plain and he will bring out the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace to it. This great mountain, what's he talking about? Well, the mountain for Zerubbabel, he had really was twofold mountain that was hindering him from being able to to build the temple, okay? The, The two parts were, first of all, from without. He had the Samaritans and others who were threatening by sword, to, if they kept building the temple, that they were going to tr- go to war and kill them. Okay, so he has this, but he also had from within. The people themselves got really discouraged, and I'll talk about why in just a moment. But so w- that was the mountain, and he's saying to him, that mountain, Zerubbabel, it's going to become a plain. I'm taking care of it. By the way, this is true for just our walk in Christ in general, right? We all have mountains, don't we? difficulties in our life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to take care of those things. Don't worry, because he, spe- he says to Zerubbabel, you're going to bring the capstone accompanied by shouts of grace, grace. The capstone was the final completion of the temple. Okay, So he says, but look at the response. So once the temple's built, the people are going to shout grace, grace to it. Chain, chain. 
Why grace? That's kind of a strange thing to shout. It's because they're going to recognize we couldn't have done this on our own. They're going to look back at it. This is not something that we, in our own strength, were able to accomplish. No, this was a miracle. Have you seen the movie um, Breakthrough? Oh, if you have not seen it, go see that movie. That is awesome. That is an absolute miracle attested by doctors this took place. There's no way it could have happened except by the Holy Spirit. It is incredible. Go watch that movie. That's great. We should all go right now. Okay. Well, let me finish first. All right. Okay. (laughs) They recognize, wow, look what God did. It wasn't because we deserved it. It wasn't because we're so strong. It was by his grace alone. Look at Romans 1.16 now. This, in the book of Romans, this is the central focus of the entire book of Romans. This is what the book of Romans is all about. He has some introductory material in verses 1 through 15. Then he gives this 16 and 17. Here is what the whole rest of the book is all about. And look what it is. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in, the righteousness, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It's the gospel that brings salvation to lost people so that they become saved. And, uh, and, and it's from faith to faith. He's saying there, it's by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ, That's how we get saved. That's how we continue our walk with Christ. That's how we end it. It's all by grace, by his grace. And that's why they're shouting here, grace, grace to it. Okay? And then, so first we see only the Holy Spirit can bring revival. Then we'll finish today with verses 8 through 10 that the Holy Spirit will bring revival. So Finney's right. Okay, <laughs> he, God does want to bring revival. Look what he says here, verse eight. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Zerubbabel's hands have laid the foundation of this house and his hands will complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of armies has sent me to you. For who despises the day of small things? These seven eyes of the Lord, which scan throughout the whole earth, will rejoice when they see the ceremonial stone in Zerubbabel's hand. Okay, notice here, he's saying, Zerubbabel, you started building the temple. You are going to finish it, okay, so that you can bring about the temple where they, people, the people can receive the forgiveness of their sins. He says, uh, and, and, and it ends, this passage ends with Zerubbabel, with a ceremonial stone, once again, signifying the completion of the temple, okay? So the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel. It's, it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will bring revival. Uh, but don't despise the day of small things. Did you see that next verse there? Verse 10, for who despises the day of small things? Don't despise the day of small things. What's going on here? These people, when Zerubbabel first started building the temple, he built the foundation, 
okay? We know of this in Ezra chapter 3. It describes this. And, and he started and he built the foundation. And once the foundation was finished, the people, there was a mixed reaction to the completion of the foundation. Half of the people were rejoicing, but half of the people were weeping because the older people remembered Solomon's temple and how grand and glorious it was. And they saw this little foundation. They said, ah, this is small. This is nothing compared to what it used to be. And he says to them, and that's why, by the way, there was discouragement. The discouragement that literally stopped them from building the temple. 17 years later, Zechariah is writing to him, get busy, guys. Zerubbabel is going to finish it. He started it. He's going to finish it. So they had this temporary relapse, so to speak. But he's saying to them, don't despise the day of small things. Yes, it started small, but it's going to get grand. Ezra brings that out, okay? Now, we do know that Herod actually... Uh, rebuilt the temple or, or built onto the temple to where it became pretty glorious at that time. But that's not what made it glorious. Herod, he wasn't even a believer, okay? What made it glorious was Jesus coming into it. When Jesus entered the temple, that's what made it glorious because the king showed up, all right? Okay, but don't despise the day of small things. Sometimes we think, well, you know what? Our church is not that big, and, you know, we're getting some things done, and some things are starting, but you know what? You know, if only we were a mega church or something like that. You know, some people think that, yeah. You know, mega churches are inefficient. They're inefficient. They, they, they really are um, gift shelvers. You know what I mean by that? Uh, Bunch of people in the church just sit in the pews because only the professionals do the work. Because they're so big, they have a bunch of professionals. Why would you let the common peons do stuff? Right? And that's tragic because there's so many people that are capable of doing great works for God. So they're gift shelvers. They're really inefficient. It'd be far better if that megachurch split up into a bunch of smaller churches where everybody's doing something. Kind of like our church. Our church... We are, everybody's involved, and that's awesome. I love it, okay, because then I don't have to do so much work. <laughs> but, so good job, all right? But don't despise the day of small things. No, God, when he shows up, it, it, it can increase. Jonathan Edwards, in another part of his book, he says this, uh, uh, He says, when God in so remarkable a manner took the work into his own hands, there was as much done in a day or two as at ordinary times with all endeavors that men can use and with such a blessing as we commonly have is done in a year. So when the Holy Spirit, you know, in those ebbs and flows, when he shows up and he comes through, stuff that maybe took us a year to do at another time, two days, you know, so when when the Holy Spirit starts moving, Okay. That's why we got to pray. Seek the Lord. Move, oh God. We're not going to despise the day of small things. We're going to do what you call us to do. But we can't wait until you show up in real incredible power. And multitudes come to Christ. Okay, So don't despise the day of small things. And then second, God is looking for devoted followers. 
he, he finishes this verse here. These seven eyes of the Lord, which scan throughout the whole earth, will rejoice when they see the ceremonial stone in Zerubbabel's hand. What is the seven eyes of the Lord? We saw that seven eyes of the Lord back in chapter 3. Okay, Now, they would have known that the eyes of the Lord, this is referring to 2 Chronicles. So look at 2 Chronicles 6, 9. 2 Chronicles was written about the time here that's, that's going on. They would have been, very, or just shortly before it, they would have been very familiar with this verse in 2 Chronicles. This is what God is looking for. Look at 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. He is looking for people who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. He's not looking for people who are super gifts, gifted people. He's not looking for whatever. He's looking for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him, and he will make them strong. He will protect them. He will equip them. He's going to use them. The eyes of the Lord are scanning the whole earth, and he's looking. Is he finding you? Yeah. Yeah, right? You're wholly devoted to the Lord. God is looking for you. He wants to use you. That's what we're seeing here. He's seeking for devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And and he's going to use them to bring about his great revival. I want to skip past this. The passage in verse 14 ends with... uh, speaking of the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Jesus is the Lord of the whole earth. Now, in light of what we've learned so far, how do we practice? What do we do with this? Okay, Because he has a plan. And most people have rejected his plan. In this world, most people have rejected his plan. Most Christians have been sidetracked from his plan, but he has a plan. And if we're devoted to him, here's what I get from this passage. Pray for revival. Pray. If the Holy Spirit is the one who brings it, we need to seek him. Pray for revival. Repent of all known sin. That's how the book started. Chapter 1, verse 3. Return to me and I will return to you. So repent of all known sin. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. So we surrender. I say whatever, whenever, God. Even if you call me to go witness to my neighbor, I know you'll give me the right words to say because I don't know them. Right? So surrender to the Holy Spirit. Share in boldness, truth, and love. Expect power encounters and truth encounters. As you are led by the Holy Spirit and you ask to pray for somebody, sometimes he's going to heal people. But if you don't ever pray for him, not going to see any healing. Right? So expect power encounters and truth encounters Recognize it's all by grace and believe, okay? Let's pray.
Father, you have a great plan. And we all confess that sometimes we get sidetracked. But we, as your church, want to take part in revival. We believe you want to bring it. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, come empower us. Come and fill us. Bring revival to our lives that we would repent of our sin and truly just step out in faith as we are yielded to the Holy Spirit. And please save our community. Change this place. Bring people to Christ. Not in trickles, but in boatloads, O oh Lord. Come and do this great work. And we will follow you and give you all the glory because it's by grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.